Hello and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and your co-host, Mr. Gareth Dix. Welcome. Good evening. And how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, brother. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're arriving now at the final point of doctrine in our series on the doctrines of grace, uh, on perseverance of the saints. So well done to all of you who have managed to make it through the preceding four sessions. We're really looking forward to talking through this incredibly encouraging doctrine tonight, aren't we, Gareth? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's been a great, uh, great kind of series we've been able to do i think it's something we uh we get excited about because we're calvinists but also we we think that it's important for everyone to have the assurance of their faith and to think about these things and to recognize that you know theology matters it matters what we believe it, it matters what we confess and and ultimately there's there's assurance and comfort in knowing the truth about uh that we're loved by christ and we're saved in him and the wonderful thing that we haven't done anything uh, to, to deserve that but that we're just saved by his love and his grace amen yeah i mean it was spurgeon wasn't it he said you know there are people that say um you know do you are you a calvinist do you preach calvinism and it's kind of talked about like you're some sort of i don't know weird christian strange it's like a cult or something <laughs> in it or something. yeah like a, a cult member or something like that and he he basically just said look you know i i i i call calvinism by a different name i just call it the gospel <laughs> yeah <laughs> the bible like he you heard it, of it he said it much better than i i just said it obviously because he's spurgeon um but yeah you know really when we're talking about the doctrines of grace um i, I actually think it's better to just talk about them in terms of the gospel these are doctrines that really underpin what we mean by by the gospel of jesus christ you know by by the gospel of god really um because it involves the whole trinity i love it about i love that about the doctrines of grace you've got father son and holy spirit um all working for the salvation of god's people and that's why i love them i i, I like to think of them as 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 the doctrines of the gospel of course that's what the doctrines of grace mean um yeah and it, but it is it, yeah it's great to be able to do this um to bring these doctrines back to life um for the church of today because they have as we've talked about until we've been blue in the face we've said this before but they've kind of fallen into obscurity haven't they um to the point where even ministers don't really know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. i remember I, I remember having a minister say to me um what what you know a minister of 40 years say to me what are the doctrines of grace what do you mean <laughs> and it's like okay we really need to bring these doctrines out of the box again because yeah. they have been such a strength to the church for centuries and centuries they've provided real assurance for people real gratitude in the saving work of the cross and that's what i find they bring me so it's a real privilege to be speaking about them it gets me excited and uh, we yeah. hope um, really that these have been an encouragement to you as well yeah so yeah um so tonight we're talking about really this this doctrine that we call uh, the P in tulip, perseverance of the saints. That the perseverance of the saints, and we're sort of asking the question really: Can you lose your salvation? Can you actually be saved one day, and then the next day not be saved? And so that's I mean I love this one because I think every Christian has a view on this don't they every christian 100 is, is yeah. going to be able to say oh no no no, you can definitely lose your salvation or no 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 you'll never lose your salvation there's there's strong opinions on both sides of it and i think um 
just a personal anecdote you know this is this is the one doctrine that i before before coming to be a, a calvinist i absolutely repudiated i was like this is the most nonsensical doctrine of a lot of them because you know i can tell you right now i've seen people lose their salvation i've seen it yeah and i haven't just seen it once or twice i've seen it over and over and over and over again so how can you tell me that a christian can't lose their salvation i've seen it and so like i remember being at, at school um and I was raised in, in church. I have two Christian parents who, who raised me really well and brought me to Sunday school, uh, who really did you know do a great job of, of raising me in the church. And I remember we left the church that I was, I was kind of born into to move to uh, a local Anglican church because a lot of my friends were going there. Uh, my friends from school were there and there was a great youth group. It was going, it was going great guns and I went along there because there was just this group of people there that I was friends with. And each year we'd go to Soul Survivor, we'd bring our school friends with us, we'd, we'd go along to um, Christian events. We actually ended up even running our own worship event at the church. Um, the vicar allowed us to put on this, this well, I don't know, I literally don't know to this day how we got away with it. We used to put on this night for teenagers called Naked. <laughs> Oh my days! Why safeguarding uh, like, wasn't a thing then, was it? You know, literally. Like, how did we get away with that? And why? Just why? Uh, so, like, we had this event, and genuinely, like, we would have people that were at school with us who would come along to Soul Survive with us. They had no exposure to church at all. Um, they'd come along, and I remember the one year it was like I think it was. There was some big event in Manchester. I think it might have been the mission to Manchester the one year, 2001, maybe. And we took a friend of ours who wasn't in any way a Christian. But by the end of the week, you know, he'd he'd gone up to the front. He'd received prayer. He was weeping. He'd fallen over. He got, you know, slain in the spirit, quote unquote. Um, and, um, you know, was so moved by what we believed to be a genuine encounter with God at the time, of course, and came back and he started coming along to church. Really, really encouraging. Amazing. Um, and then he, after about two months, stopped coming to church. And after about six months, we literally never spoke about what happened at Soul Survivor again because it was just yeah. embarrassing. He was back doing whatever he was doing before. And to be honest, now, even looking at that group of teenagers that I led that event with a good many of them actually are not Christian anymore they don't they fall yeah. away or whatever you want to say they don't go to church they don't as far as I'm aware um, identify as Christians and those are the people that were helping me lead it there are of course you know praise God there are one or two that are still going and still um, you know going to church serving the Lord in, in whatever way which is such an encouragement but there are some that have just nowhere near where they were and i've seen this happen over and over in my life i don't know if that's something that that you are familiar with in yours i'm sure it is yeah i mean it's funny you should say that I, a friend of mine uh i think we must be like 1920 at the time and he had gone to soul survivor with the church youth group had had an experience at the front you know floods of tears you know as you as you mentioned kind of falling down at the front weeping and and all of that and came back was like you know properly smiley different almost kind of like a different person for a bit really yeah change of personality for a little bit and then and then it's kind of like like it's funny that within a couple of months it was it was like similar amount of time couple of months uh and he'd kind of 
kind of backslid he was yeah. out with certain, a certain group of friends that he worked with drinking heavily again and then back to kind of immoral behavior and and all that hooking up and things like that and and he yeah he just kind of fallen away completely and and there's that whole thing of well what happened oh yeah well i don't know really i just i i, I experienced something at the front of soul survivor but then kind of just went back to my old life and that was the end of that yeah I think it's common for many of us and for that reason I, I've always you know up until a few years ago really about 2017 there or thereabouts I would always just said you know yeah absolutely you know a person can can uh, be saved be a Christian be over the line you know and then fall away um, yeah know, no longer be a Christian and uh, that was my experience and I I believe that bore out in scripture and so yeah like i couldn't i couldn't end up, i could never understand people that would have this kind of attitude of, of once saved always saved it just seemed kind of ludicrous to me like yeah, yeah. what do you mean like once like i could tell you 10 people that were saved and are no longer saved so yeah i think it's it's kind of like for me there's been a big change i think there's been a big change also in terms of what i see as salvation um what what we mean by that um that we can get into because i think when we when we think about salvation in this day and age maybe or, or use the term salvation maybe we're not always meaning the same thing yeah you know? um that would be and my faith opinion. as and faith as well i mean herman bavink the Re a dutch reformed theologian talks about the two different types of faith i mean you have faith where you can believe something to be true like you know someone you know maybe some kind of something that's miraculous mm. or something mm. that you know is, is slightly unusual you can have faith in something that you think well like you know it's kind of evidence-based yeah and then there's redemptive faith which is obviously a totally different thing altogether this has to do with the something the holy spirit does that that regenerates a person that they are born again in the in the real biblical way yeah and so if, they, if there are two different types of faith as bavink talks about well that means that there can there is a true conversion and there's a false conversion there are plenty of false converts churches are absolutely regardless of denomination or yeah, how yeah. sound they are there are false conversions everywhere so this is actually this is a really important thing to remember and i think you know we'll look a bit more into that but you've got to remember that that there are conversions and there are false conversions there and there are people who who th it would probably think they're christians because they do some religious things but actually they haven't experienced the new birth there's so much in that <laughs> I think firstly, you know, like there's the thing of assurance you've touched on there. People who think yeah. they're Christians. Like, why do you think you're a Christian though? You know, why do you think you're a Christian? Is that because you walked up a line and you went and got prayed for? Uh, where's your assurance? Like what makes you confident that you are definitely a Christian? So that's the first thing. Where's the assurance coming from? Um, and then you also mentioned another thing about false believers. And that was just a category that I, I maybe hadn't really appreciated. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and it was really, you know, kind of jumping out to me a few years back in John 4, where Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And, you know, he says... He clarifies, you know, the true believers will worship in spirit and truth. And yeah. so why does he say that? I think we talked about this before, at least I have in church. But Jesus makes a distinction between true believers and, well, he doesn't say it, but he's implying that, therefore, if there are true believers, then there must be false believers. And yeah. the true believers worship in spirit, in, in their 
their whole being and their heart um, some might say in, in the holy spirit and they worship in truth now he's talking to samaritan woman whose tradition held that there were only five books in the bible effectively they believed that you know the law um they didn't believe that the, the prophets should be added all the other wisdom writings and so they had an incomplete canon of scripture uh, they didn't hold the rest of the books that the jews had to be canonical to be authoritative so they weren't worshiping in truth so effectively jesus is calling the samaritans false worshipers <laughs> but yeah. just just low-key that's the implication he's low-key calling them false believers but he's saying listen the true believers will worship in spirit and in truth and so i think that whole category of there being in such a thing as as a false believer or a false convert you know that's really important in this is that just because somebody walks and walks a line goes to to pray a prayer um that's amazing and should encourage us uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is saved no and i do think that because we live in a day and an age in the evangelical church where we really do think that a christian is just somebody who raised their hand in an altar call and repeated a prayer of salvation and i don't want to do that down i think that no. we must confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts absolutely but we can't just reduce being born again down to the repetition or the parroting of a prayer. You know, no. it's possible to do that. You could be under emotional pressure. You could temporarily believe, you know, we look at Matthew 13 later, but you know, when we reduce what being saved is just down to those bare essentials and say that anybody who says that prayer is therefore saved. Well, that's actually, you know i think i think we're missing something <laughs> i don't know yeah like, definitely i don't want to say something in error here but i think we're missing something and certainly there was always a category in the new testament um and in the throughout church history of false false professions of faith of false believers um that we just maybe don't really have today no and I think this is going to kind of frame what we're talking about in this episode as well as is actually when we talk about people falling away. Well, what are they falling away from? Mm. Because the, the the whole issue is if you're truly saved, um, as as we're gonna we're gonna look look at that. The, it, the question has got to be what makes a person a Christian in the first place? Okay, so what makes a person a Christian? And so that also means what keeps a person a Christian? And the question that a lot of people would i think or should ask is do i hold on to christ or does he hold on to me yes now there's a, there's a sense in which both are true because yeah, we do yeah, we yeah. hold on we hold Absolutely. on we hold on tightly to christ and, and I, I know i do and there's just moments in life where it, it's really hard to hold on to him but the, the question is if i if i let go of my my grip of christ is he going to let go of me and yeah. and i think this is what we want to look at in this episode is does christ let go of us if we let go of him when things are struggling because Another question I want to ask someone in relation to to this is, particularly as we as we start to look at the kind of falling from grace Arminian argument. So let's just say if if your ability to believe is what is what makes you a Christian. So your your ability to exercise faith and makes you a about Christian. Your, your natural ability. So this is yeah. This is you know not. Um, not God's work in you, but but like a kind of a natural ability to have faith, something that is just in you, in your actual 
Is that what we're talking about there? Yeah. So, so like kind of the kind of Pelagian uh, man's ability to believe. So, if we were going to just summarise the Arminian position at the fifth point, falling from grace, and this fifth point of Arminianism is the logical outcome of the preceding portions of the system. If a man cannot be saved by God, unless it is man's will to be saved, then man cannot continue in salvation unless he continues to will to be saved. So this means that you have to continue to want to be uh, uh, saved. You have to continue. It has to be an act of your will all the way along. So you actually think about it logically. This is exhausting. This is kind of literally every single day. And, and any Arminian would say this. You get up in the morning and you're having to make a decision that you're going to be a Christian on that given day. <laughs> yeah. Which, it, yeah. Yeah. Carry and on. within that, I'd say, I'd say within that, okay, so it's, it's, it's your will to be saved. But what happens? What happens if, um, let's just say, you have a really bad accident and you're brain damaged, or you go through something tr- really traumatic and it, it really affects your your mental health? Or what if you, you know, of old age, you get or Alzheimer's, or you know, any kind of reason that would actually affect your your will, your mood? You have a brain. I, know, I had a good friend who had a brain tumor, and the poor guy eventually died. He's only young. Like any number of things could happen to us in life. That the question has got to be so. Well, but yeah, but surely that would affect your ability. If it's just purely down to your will, if it's just purely down to your your strength and ability to to exercise faith yourself, well, that means that you could you could lose your salvation in the in the most cruel of ways. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's yeah. I think um, we we are. Yeah, let me let let, let me um, let me read as well from Westminster because I think. It's, it's such a it's such a nuanced discussion isn't it because i think what we what we also want to affirm is that there is a, a genuine choice there is a genuine will that needs to be involved in in choosing christ in repenting of sin yeah there's that you know and i think that's often something that maybe critics of calvinism really go against and critics of the doctrines of grace they'll say something like well are you just saying then that god just magics you to become a christian like there's no will involved at all and actually no that's not what we're saying at all um we've made this clear in previous episodes it's not that god drags sinners into the covenant of grace and makes them kicking and screaming against their will and their will is just completely violated no it's not saying that at all it's saying that god makes us willing through grace that that actually faith itself is a work of grace in us he gives us a new heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone um you know it's a rebirth so yes there is a will but crucially it's not the will that saves you um that's that you know that would be the difference like i think and therefore, if it is, or if like the, the Arminian position, be more something like: listen, your the the thing on which your salvation hinges is your will. That's just, yeah, that's effectively down to your will. That's it's what all your down salvation, to your personal will, yeah, hinges on. But what if you, like Gareth says, what what if you, you know, sadly develop dementia, you know, and then your will becomes all kinds of messed up. And you maybe begin to do things that you wouldn't have done before. Well, of course, then, if everything hinges on your will and your ability to choose to believe the right doctrines, then you can see how if salvation is absolutely hinging on your will that, yeah, of course, then in that in that case, you could lose your salvation in the most dreadful of ways. Right. Is that kind of what we're saying? That's the position, more or less. Um, 
if that's the case, you know, if it's all dependent on your will, on your choice, on your ability to continually affirm the doctrines of salvation, if continually affirm your belief in Christ, and, and that's all of your strength, um, this, you know, th- those kinds of things, we, well, we are in trouble, aren't we? Because <laughs> yeah, um, there are any number of things that could happen that could affect that. Um, yeah, and I think probably, let's have a quick look at Westminster Confession as well, because I read through the Canons of Dort, and there's some good stuff in there that we can come back to. But uh, Article 17 of the Westminster Confession of the Perseverance of the Saints has got a few really concise points on this doctrine that I think will help. So point number one of Article 17. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Point number two. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace from all which ariseth, also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So that's, oh, look, listen to the language, the language of these men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Point number three, the final point of that head of doctrine reads like this. Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their own preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue in them whereby they incur God's displeasure and even grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalise others and bring temporal judgment upon themselves. So, effectively, in layman's English, what the Westminster Confession says is that, listen, those who God has accepted in Christ and called and sanctified by his spirit will never finally fall away no and that their perseverance doesn't depend on their own free will but actually is rooted in god's decree of election so in his electing love so they're pers- they're persevering not because they're just exceptional human beings and wonderful christians actually it's all rooted in god's grace and then finally it does actually affirm that a real christian can actually backslide but not fall away finally not fall away finally but can actually backslide to a point where you know god god could actually bring them under um a level of temporal judgment and of course we read about that in first corinthians 11 you know the 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 lord's supper and people will come in and they were drinking the lord's supper and eating it uh, but they were living in unrepentant sin and he says listen that's why some of you have, have died Uh, because you've been doing this in such an unholy manner that's a temporal judgment that was happening upon christians that paul actually says god did that you know um of course they they died and went to be with christ but still they they died they became sick um so yeah a, a true believer one of god's elect their 
this is what the doctrine says that their faith and their continued faith rests in god's grace that he will not allow them to fall away but that in seasons they can actually satan can still tempt them could still lead them off into some sort of sin um, but they will never fall away totally so that's yeah. it's quite a nuanced doctrine and it's a bit different i think because i know people that would sorry i'm rambling a bit but i know people that would affirm the statement once saved always saved that are not five pointers if you know yeah. what i mean they're, they're kind of sure. like they don't they don't affirm election they don't affirm um these other doctrines but they do say once saved always saved and you know uh, when people ask me that so you believe once saved always saved i always ask to ask questions or what do you mean by once saved always saved um because <laughs> it is yeah. quite, it's quite detailed as a doctrine perseverance of the saints is and it's you can't really just boil it down to a statement once saved always saved in my humble opinion i think there's more to it than that yeah i, mean, I think um, there's um Dwayne edward spencer uh theologian and i think he summarizes the arminian view and the calvinist view really well so kind of pitting cool. them against each yeah. other arminian view so falling from grace and Dwayne Edward Spencer says the logical conclusion of Arminianism is that since salvation is the result of man's self-determination as he exercises his free will in choosing Christ man is also responsible to keep himself saved by continuing faith and obedience should he after having once accepted Christ decide against him an eternal life or should he find the responsibility of living a holy life too great a burden and turn away he will surely fall from grace and be lost now this is versus the calvinist view as we're talking on this episode perseverance of the saints the logical conclusion of calvinism is that since salvation is of the lord and absolutely no part of it is dependent upon any condition found in the elect but is wholly dependent upon the god who has willed to save those whom he gave his dear son salvation can never be lost the saints of god will tr will surely persevere because he has given them his promise that no creature can take them away from him including themselves we shall persevere because he wills to persevere and and also there's a great verse in in jude in that short epistle jude and in jude uh, verse 24 he's, he says right at the end of the benediction now to him that is able to what yeah. keep you from falling yes now to him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory praise yeah. god now to him who's able to stop you falling mm. and that's that's what the christian has the christian is not only saved but we are held and just to go back to the beginning when i said about the question of uh, of do i hold on to christ or does he hold on to me well the answer of course is both Absolutely. but the difference is when when, when i when I'm, i lose my grip of christ he doesn't let let go of me <laughs> yeah yeah that's it and that's the beautiful mystery but it's not one of those that you can really kind of explain or argue other than to say i'm so glad he doesn't let go of me when I, I i there have been times where i have let go of his of, of him but he's held on to me times where you're starting to despair in life times where you're starting to feel tired yeah. and and, yeah, yeah. and angry and maybe you're angry with god maybe you're feeling a bit rebellious and then just something happens in your day where you just feel your heart warmed back towards christ again and you feel sorry that you felt that way towards god do you see that's kind 100%. of I, you know yeah, yeah. 
it's Asaph in Psalm 73, isn't it? You know, that that my, my, my foot had all but slipped. And then at the end of the psalm, he's, he's saying, you know, I was like a beast towards you. I, I was out of line. <laughs> and that's what it means, like, doesn't it? To, yeah, sometimes we let go of Christ. Sometimes we, we, we struggle and we wobble. And, but but that, when all's said and done, if you're truly saved, you're, you're always going to find yourself wooed back to God. I think it was my, talking of, you know, my foot had slipped in that passage there. I'm reminded of a story my mum told me when I was younger. It's a story of a missionary. Uh, I don't know where the missionary was. I remember it was a story of somebody that, you know, she'd known or something like that. I remember the story vividly anyway. But (laughs) the story basically is this female ministry is walking to a village that she was ministering in and uh, the route took her along a mountain pass along the side of a mountain and and on the way towards the village it was a rainy day the path was very narrow and the her footing gave way and she fell down the side of this mountain and completely you know her grip was lost on the side she she was gone but as she was falling she felt this arm grab her and pull her back onto the wow and when she turned around to say thank you there was nobody there and i think for me that is a picture of of how we view salvation is that woman was completely helpless you know gravity was going to take her down and there was nothing she could do to stop it just a sin is going to take us down to death and there's nothing we can do to stop it but god and yeah you know it was that being that angel that pulled her back that made sure she got back on a sure footing you know um, wasn't awesome. waiting for her to grab back he was going to make sure he held on and and you know you think about the fatherly love of god don't you you think of god the father yeah. and of course making comparisons to earthly parenthood it it, it never fully follows through it, you know because we are not perfect like him but no you know i think i was doing a game with one of my daughters where we walk up this i walk up the stairs and i'll grab one of their hands and as i'm walking up the stairs i'll kind of pull one of them up with me and then pull them up over the banister yeah you know i'll always <laughs> say listen you know i would have saved your life if you'd fallen over the edge of a cliff yeah. daddy would still be able to pull you up over it you know and i just think about my will to hold on to them listen yeah, yeah. i'm not dropping them and it's the same with no. god you think about if he set his love on you and put you in Christ and elected you from before the foundation of the world, then is he really going to let you go? Is he going to change his mind? Is he going to, you know, and this is what the Arminian doctrine taught effectively was something called peremptory election, which is like, yeah, he kind of like provisionally elects you, but then it's really all down to you. And if you choose to negate that election, say no to that election, then God can change his mind. But then we've got the big problem of, well, listen, isn't God immutable? Isn't he unchangeable? There's no shadow of turning in him, James, right? So he can, this is the problem. It's like, are you saying then God, God can change his mind? That he could literally set his love upon you before the foundation of the world, before you'd done either good or bad, and then change his mind based on something yeah. that you did do. But he chose to love you based on nothing you'd done, right? He'd foreseen all of it. He he has all foreknowledge. We're not open theists here. Neither are minions, right? So, are we saying God is going to change His mind? And and that for me is is the key thing. Is that I, I don't want to say that God, who is sovereign, who knows all things, is going to change His mind about something so important as His mission, 
his people about the mission of his son i don't see him changing his mind on those things no um, or leaving it to chance right um <laughs> i believe yeah. god is going to be victorious in saving all of his people who he intended to save i think that's important and, and you touched on their unconditional election which obviously we've already covered in this podcast and is part of the, the the second of the five doctrines of grace but yeah just to just to kind of without going back over old ground well we'd invite you to go and listen to that again if you haven't listened to it already uh but i just want to read from chapter 10 of the westminster confession which talks about effectual calling and it says all those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only he is pleased, in his appointed and accepted time, effectually to call, by his word and spirit, out of that state of sin and death, in which they were are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and saving to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. And secondly, this effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein until being quickened and renewed by his Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. So mm. Mm. reading that out just to remind us that it's because because we're elect of God is that we, that we are that we persevere. This is where, as we said before, the the five points of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace, however you want to call it, these five points they're all linked. Yeah. And it's because of the election that that we that we persevere in it. It's because we're chosen that we we have this uh, this redeemed heart, this 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 heart of flesh. The heart of stone has been removed. The heart of flesh has been put in, as Ezekiel puts it. We are born again and so having that new late nature that means naturally that we persevere in that in that faith and i think this is something that people have to remember as well that this is something that god has done it's that the foreknowledge of god is based upon his decree plan and purpose it's his will not our will this is the difference between the the uh, arminian view and the calvinistic view this is god's will not my will and as we know human will is so fickle it's so weak and 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 honestly if if and i'll say this and i may be getting myself in trouble here but i think if you think about it logically the arminian argument would actually by by logical reasoning everybody would be lost because yeah. if it was based purely on your will no, no one's will enough is strong enough no, to be saved no, no. And that's the main problem, that our will is corrupt and our will is weak. And right. even if you're a staunch Arminian, you'd still have to admit, if you're a staunch Arminian and you didn't really believe in total depravity as we do, you'd still have to say, do you know, our will's pretty weak and yeah. we're so easily drawn away. So for me, it's the will of God versus the will of man. And, and that's where it, where it kind of lands. I think so. And I think we, so much energy and time is put into defending the freedom of man to choose, isn't it? Yeah, you know, free will. You know, if we don't have free will, we don't have accountability, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But how much time is actually spent defending the freedom of God? Yeah, yeah. the freedom the of sovereign God to will, yeah, and to get His choice right. And this is the way that we see it: is that yes, man is free. Yes, 
to a certain degree. Above all other creatures, man has a freedom in his will to choose life or death, right? But overarching that is the freedom of God to choose to save who he wants to save and to get the job done, right? So we're just defending the freedom of God, the freedom of his choice, the freedom of his will to choose who he wants to save. You know, God is a Chad. (laughs) Yeah. God is a giga, God is a giga Chad. He is the giga Chad and he's going to get the job done, brother. Uh, (laughs) And, um, you know, and I think with so much energy is put into defending the freedom of man, I understand it on a level. It's a fear that, if if we don't have freedom then we're somehow saying that man's not responsible but we talked about this before that we talked we need to do a whole session on compatibilism really yeah like the, the doctrine of compatibilism how it, it is compatible that god is free and is sovereign but equally man is still on a level free and is but is underneath the sovereign decree yeah. of god and still remains accountable to him even though god's purposes are fulfilled in the free choices quote-unquote of man so we, we should do a session on that but yeah you know, I, I think yeah more time needs to go into defending the freedom of god to choose and to save those who he has set out to save if we talked about before there is an intention in the redemption of the church in the father son and holy spirit um and this doctrine of perseverance of the saints i think again you know um, i have heard before not from everybody that, that i've ever debated with but this idea that this is a doctrine that just originated with Calvin. This, this guy, yeah, Calvin, yeah. oh, he's such a baddie. Boo, hiss, Calvin. He came up with these doctrines, and, you know, since he wrote his Institutes of Christian Religion, um, we've we've had these wackos that run around believing that, you know, you can, you, once saved, always saved, etc. And that, that's never been in the history of the church. Nobody's really ever believed that. Well, and I'll read you some quotes from, from the early church. Um, now, we're not saying that just because church fathers say certain things, that makes them true, because the church fathers do err. Uh, if you read the, the fathers, then you'll find things in there that, you know, are interesting and not always true um, because we're fallible. They, they you know, they, they were not apostles. They didn't claim to be apostles of Christ, um, but still they're authoritative on a level and we should listen to them we should be reading the church fathers we should be taking seriously what they had to say so i read a few quotes this is clement of rome roughly ad 69 he says this or writes this quote it is the will of god that all whom he loves should partake of repentance and so not perish with the unbelieving and impenitent he has established it by his almighty will But if any of those whom God wills should partake of the grace of repentance, should afterwards perish, where is his almighty will? And how is this matter settled and established by such a will of his? End quote. And we've got Clement of Alexandria, AD 190. Quote, such a soul of a Christian shall never at any time be separated from God. Faith, I say, is something divine, which cannot be pulled asunder by any worldly friendship, nor be dissolved by present fear, end quote. And finally, Augustine, quote, of these believers, no one perishes because they were all elected and they were elected. They were elected because they were called according to the purpose, the purpose, however, not their own, but God's obedience then is God's gift. To this, indeed, we are not able to deny that perseverance in good, 
progressing even to the end is also a great gift of gods end quote so augustine there finishing off with saying that when we are persevering to the end that even that work of faith in continued good works is a gift of god just as our faith was a gift of god so is our perseverance in the things of god wow i mean that's powerful and and this is this has been taught for years right from you know whole of scripture but the church fathers affirming those truths and i think the question has got to be as well you know moving on from that a little bit is to ask you know what is scripture have to say about our assurance because and i think the church fathers yeah. give us real comfort in what they're teaching and, and and just reinforcing that this isn't something new this wasn't something that just suddenly appeared in the reformation as people might try and suggest this has been around for years yeah yeah, yeah. and and so this is really important to remind remind ourselves of this this is not just something you know don't don't let people try and fool you into oh well Martin Luther rolled up with this. No, he didn't. This has been this has been right there with the, the church fathers. But I think it's it's helpful if, as we start to think about uh, what this means for us on the ground, as it were. And, and I know a lot of Christians will sometimes, you know, there'll be a bag of nerves and and how do I yeah. know if I'm saved? And uh, that is a good question to ask. We should work out our faith with fear and trembling. Uh, and I I absolutely commend people being concerned about the, whether they're saved or not. In fact, there's a story of a man who went to Dr. Martin lloyd-jones and he was really worried about whether he's saved or not and then lloyd-jones said well that's actually a good sign the fact that you're worried about it is a good sign and i'd say that that's actually a sign that you're saved that you're concerned about your salvation and and because someone who's not probably wouldn't but i wonder if we might just go through some if you want to share some bible verses and then i'll share some that yeah that I, we would want to offer as assurance and for, to, to comfort us when we're worrying about faith absolutely yeah i think it's really important to to ground this always in scriptures we we we, we do need to do um have we done the five solas yet i can't remember if we've done them i don't think we have no we need that's to good, maybe that's, that's next up next yeah, up yeah. solas yeah solar scriptura and things like that um yeah okay well yeah i mean i do want to dive into um at some point later on the kind of the key text really for those who would say you can lose your salvation which i yeah. I, I would say the biggie would be hebrews 6 um, yep. So I do want to Hebrews get to that. Hebrews 10 as well. Uh, Hebrews 10 as well. But I, I want to just jump into some that I would say give me the sense of assurance that, that Christ will not lose his own. I think we always hit this one, but it's so important. John 6, the conversation that Jesus is having with the Jews. And he says, John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me. So again, we've got what we've got a yeah. people, an elect people being given to Christ by the Father. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Hallelujah for that. Verse thirty-eight. For I've come down from heaven not to do the will of my own will, rather, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me. So now we're talking about whose will? We're talking about the Father's will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day verse 40 for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day so what we have there we have the will of the father being performed by the son so this is god the son's job to fulfill the will here of god the father and what is the will of god the father that the son should lose none of those who he has given to the son those people those elect who he's given to the son the father says don't lose any of these and then he says for this is the will of my father that everyone 
everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life so that's the will of god the father and then in john 10 27 jesus says this i think actually i'm going to skip back a little bit just to verse 25 because i love the way that he puts this is really interesting but jesus answers them and says i told you and you do not believe yeah <laughs> the works that i do in my father's name bear witness about me but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep yeah isn't yeah. that interesting the way that he puts that boom he, he doesn't say because he says you don't believe me the works i do in my father's name bear witness about me but because he doesn't say but because you don't believe you're not my sheep he doesn't put the belief as being the qualifying factor between sheep or not he says you don't believe because you're not among my sheep yeah was back to front the order so isn't important it? isn't it the order is <laughs> so important very interesting and then he, he qualifies it he says verse 27 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me there we go there's the john 6 reference there yeah the sheep have been given to, to Christ by the Father. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. One of the great Trinitarian yeah. verses in Scripture there. So I would say, you know, for me, those two are absolutely huge in terms of assurance. Um, they give me both an assurance of, of the Father's will to save me and that I should never perish and that I should have eternal life. And I believe that God the Father's will is going to get done. And I've also got the assurance that Jesus Christ is God. Yeah. And that because of that, nobody is going to be able to snatch them, snatch me out of his hand. I've been given to Christ by the Father. No one's going to be able to snatch me out of Christ's hand. Yeah. Those, that, those two for me are huge. And that's that comfort from Christ, which I think is so important, and particularly in John's Gospel, in John 6 and John 10. I've just got a few uh, verses from the epistles, starting with Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident of this, that he that has begun a good work in you mm. will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He who's begun a good work in you, not you that started doing some good stuff for God, he began the good work in you. And I think that's important. That's That that really confronts the, the works gospel that I'm doing something good for God, which is often oh, seen yeah. in so many, particularly Anglican churches, but, but it's, everywhere, it's everywhere. You know, it's what I'm used to is that I come to church and therefore I'm doing a no 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 God has done a good thing and, and he will um, also 1 Peter 1 verses 4 to 5 born again to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time really important word there that uh through god's power and also guarded through mm. faith so god is guarding you not you're guarding your faith god is guarding you and your faith that 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 notice that that the the emphasis on that also in 
2 Timothy 1 verse 12, where Paul says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Again, that, that word guard, same yeah. thing. I, I know I, that he is able to guard it, not me. Mm. So both Peter and Paul are saying the same thing. I, I know he's able to guard it, uh, and what's been what he's entrusted to me. Yeah. And lastly, from 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ you're being kept blameless are you doing it no god is keeping you blameless and so i think these these verses there by the way they're just a few like we could have just rattled off a massive great big long list of, of of bible verses that that back that up yeah 100 percent. you know I, I i would also throw in there as well we've got Romans 8 <laughs> is a yeah, big one. Yeah, famous got. one. Romans 8, verse 29 through to 36, you know, or 35. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son yeah. in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And Amen. those who he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. There's no drop-off from no. foreknew or elected through until glorification no drop off and then we've got it continues what shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is to condemn christ jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then it says, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus now if that doesn't convince you that christ's hold on you as a christian is stronger than your hold on him i don't know what will oh man Although, before we move on, of course, the Arminian would go, yeah, but what about Hebrews 6? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we could, we could lay out John 17 as well, but the whole fact yeah, yeah. of, of the, the role of Christ as our intercessor that Paul talks about there in Romans. Now, Christ is praying for his people. He's interceding for his people that they will persevere, that they will continue in the faith and that they will be one. And so... You have to ask yourself the question, is the son not going to be answered his prayer? <laughs> yeah, is, is the son point. going to yeah. get told no? Sorry. You know, but yeah, of course, the, the, the classic text from Hebrews, which is Hebrews 6. I mean, we, we might have time to get to 10, but let's just take a look at Hebrews 6. And I think it's worth saying as well that this text has caused some consternation amongst many Christians like this goes back centuries and centuries. I was reading in Calvin's commentary about the novations. Have you heard this one about the novations and the and the um, those who withdrew? Um, so this this basically uh, this was about 
people who when they were under persecution when when the church was under persecution uh, in the third century uh, early third century it was a dreadful persecution and there were many christians who lapsed like under persecution who renounced their faith or, or denied it and some of them were you know leaders like leaders and they they would actually deny their faith or even perform sacrifice to pagan gods to you know under pressure of persecution and novation who was um, a, a theologian he said that those christians who had lapsed in that moment should not be welcomed back to communion even if they repented because yeah. of this passage so he's like he this was his proof text for saying no we shouldn't we, like even if these people repent and they want to come back uh, they should be told no because of this text and actually because the novations used it as a, a proof text those who um opposed the novations and said that they should be welcomed back some of them according to calvin actually started to doubt the canonicity of the book of hebrews believe yeah. it or not they, they started to go well maybe maybe novatius uh, sorry novation has it has it right and this isn't actually apostolic this book so we need to you know we, we basically need to undermine the book of hebrews um so it has caused a lot of consternation and it is i think is a great text i think it's a fantastic text i think it's for believers i think it should really it should really put i think a healthy fear into us um to work out our salvation with with fear and trembling but let's take a look at it shall we so hebrews 6 i'm going to read from verse 1 uh through until verse 9 um so here we go reading from the esv therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of christ and go on to maturity not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward god and of instruction about washings the laying on of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment hey do you see that there just before i carry on reading eternal judgment is a what is a elementary doctrine of christ yeah it's an elementary doctrine of christ according to the writer of hebrews it's an elementary doctrine but how many churches refuse to preach that today anyway interesting yeah verse, interesting verse three and this we will do if god permits verse four for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of god to their own harm and holding him up to contempt for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produ produces a crop useful to those who for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from god but if it bears thorns and thistles it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned though we speak in this way Yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So in the plain reading of that text, it seems to me that what we have here, this was always my plain reading of it, would be that yeah. what we have here is clearly a Christian. This is somebody who has once been enlightened, uh, who has tasted a heavenly gift, who has shared in the Holy Spirit, who has tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. 
um, this is somebody that seems to, for all the world, to be a Christian. And it seems to be that they have fallen away and that then it's impossible for them to come back to repentance again. That's what it absolutely seems to be here. Yeah. Now, I, I want to say a couple of things and then I'll, of course, hand to you, Gareth. But I want to say, just as we affirmed earlier on in the Westminster Confession, that there is this kind of like, there's this obscurity sometimes there's a kind of there's a you know not everything is black and white when you look at somebody you look at their life you look at the fruit of their life you look at you know their practice as a christian it's not always so simple to just be like that person is a christian that person is not right there's some gray area yeah that's why we have to be so cautious um in determining you know whether somebody's saved or not there's an element to which we have to you know we have to leave that to god almost until it's very very clear that this person is no longer saved so that there are some gray areas in determining who is saved now what i think this text is teaching is that there's also a kind of a curve there's like a a curve in terms of like the unsaved so what calvin yeah. says here is that you know it's impossible as we've already determined from other texts in the bible right across the new testament it is impossible that God's elect could ever be finally lost. Yeah. They're given new life. They're given new life in the Holy Spirit. They're filled with the seal of the Holy Spirit and they persevere on the basis of God's electing love. So, but Calvin says, but, but why should it be impossible that God in his eternal wisdom decides to give even those who will never believe in Christ a taste of the heavenly gift what's ruling him out from doing that you know what's ruling him out from having a taste of the goodness of the word of god or even in some level sharing in the holy spirit yeah but then apostatizing so what we're talking about here is the apostate rather than a true believer somebody who is an actual born again holy spirit filled christian who has then lost their salvation this is something that is other this would this here we're talking about somebody who has simply once been enlightened who has had just a pure taste of the heavenly gift has had a share in the holy spirit and tasted the goodness of the word of god in the age to come so this is a kind of temporal faith that seems to be being spoken of here and then i think this is con this is conclusive in verse 9 because the writer of Hebrews says, though we speak in this way yet in your case beloved we, full sh yeah. we feel sure of better things better things than those things that have been previously mentioned things that what things that belong to salvation so it's possible that the things mentioned in verses four and five are actually things that don't necessarily belong to salvation now that's incredible isn't it that yeah you you could for all the world looking at somebody they, they even have this kind of this love of god's word they've tasted of its goodness um that they even have tasted of the heavenly gift they've, they've been enlightened in a sense they're seeing things clearly and even maybe had an encounter with god's power at a meeting they've had an encounter with god but actually they were never truly saved so you yeah. can see again that there can be gray areas 
in a definition when we're looking at somebody's life we can be sort of thinking wait a minute with well, this person's got to be a christian they they encountered god they got a bible that they, they, they for a while they were just plowing through the bible you know it or for all the world that person was a christian but actually hebrews says not necessarily and i no. think jesus concurs that this is a thing <laughs> because in the yeah. parable of the sower Jesus says, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, in this parable, what's the differential? What's the differential factor? It's the soil. It's it's the soil, isn't it? Yeah. They all get the same seed. And at some level, along that progression of germination, they all kind of look the same. To the naked eye, certainly for the seed that fell on the rocky ground, and the seed that fell among the thorns and the seed that fell among the good soil, those three seeds, if you'd have looked at them at the early stages of germination, you would have seen the same thing. You would have seen the same thing. You would have seen a shoot springing up out of the earth, right? Just in the same way as between an apostate and a Christian in the early stages, you'll see kind of the same thing. You'll see maybe a profession of faith. You might see eagerness to study the Bible. But crucially, the soil is not the same. The, the condition of the heart is not the same. In one, there is good soil. There is a receptive yeah. heart to the word of God. Um, and that seed is going to grow and it's going to continue to bear fruit. But in the other heart, there are rocks. There is not a, there's no root in that faith. It just sprang up. But then almost immediately, the sun comes out, it's scorched and it dies. Or there are thorns that grow up and cares of life and things like that and immediately they go away but initially you're seeing what looks like the same thing so i want to make this clear what jesus is saying is that in faith that endures that it's not just that the difference is one faith lasts longer than the other what we're actually seeing here is is a temporal faith that there is such yeah. things as a temporal, rootless faith. It's just a bare profession, but there's no root in it. And there's a, another type of temporal faith that it gets choked away, it, it, but it never had a true root. It never had, it, yeah, a true root in it. Um, and so I think that that really tallies with what the writer of Hebrews is saying. It can for no, all the world brilliant. look yeah. like somebody is truly saved, but actually, no that the heart was rocky there was never any root in it you know um so i i think there are there is nuance in this and we need to be aware of that no i think that's brilliant it's absolutely right i think like 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 you said what what the writer of the hebrews is describing is actually someone who's never saved in the first place because that's evident in and i think it's in my experience particularly in life and and sometimes as a minister i've seen this particularly where someone appears to be a christian i even thought they were like you know they just they looked externally like a christian but the reality is something went wrong in their life might have been you know a relationship broke down or you know they uh, sickness or lost a job or you know we've all been through those kind of times in life where 
things are stripped away and and we think why god like you yeah. you know you and i just go why lord why is this happening why are you doing this to me why this is this isn't fair this isn't right you know we've all been there haven't we but the unbeliever is going to go well that's it i'm done with god because well hang on wait a minute so you did believe in god up to a point but you believed in the sense that he was a genie that gave you what you wanted yes rather than he's God to be worshipped. Now, a truly redeemed, born-again Christian will always see God as, the, as to be worshipped and, and to be followed and, uh, and, and to give, give our lives to him. Though he slay me, I will trust in him, to quote, quote Job. The, the true believer worships God in the truest sense. Mm. It is evident, in fact, that when, when their life gets difficult, when things fall apart, they will hang on to Christ. But the person who doesn't, they, they are going to get very angry because there's that sense of entitlement in them, isn't there? There's that sense of, well, God hasn't given me what I wanted. Yes. God hasn't done. God hasn't. Because, again, the issue is that they thought that they could get God into their debt. Yeah. So it's kind of like I can work my way into into God's debt, you know, get God in my debt so that uh, when, when I want something, I can say, so God, this is, you know, there's a promotion at work I could really do with, you know, getting that promotion or there's someone i want to marry i really which could be great if you could just sort that out or there's you know whatever it might be there's you know uh, a new car that i want <laughs> you know yeah, and it yeah, becomes yeah. god supposed to give you what you want and and when it doesn't happen you know that's it i'm out and and that's where you often see and during the pandemic i think the pandemic was was just a, a really good indicator of that where you suddenly start to see who really was genuine and who wasn't yeah for sure yeah it was a massive you start yeah, massive thing, wasn't it? I mean, it was just the simple fact that pe people just disappeared. You know, where have they gone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this, this is a, uh, and I kind of just want to link into because um, actually the question I wanted to sort of as we sort of come towards a close is actually ask well how does a Christian persevere then? Yeah. And as I've already, as, well, as I've already mentioned, you know, when we go through difficulties in life. Um, how we respond i think will actually show whether we're saved or not when when things get really tough and and i think this is where for me i don't know about you but i have a what i like to call an an emergency break glass bible verse so it's kind of i don't know i would if you don't have one i'm sure you do but if you don't and you're listening to this i'd, I'd, I'd recommend just thinking about what is that bible verse that you go to when all else fails when you when you are literally just hanging on you know and everything you just can't make sense of what's going on in life but for me my in emergency break glass bible verses john 6 68 where mm. uh, peter the disciple peter says lord to whom else oh, can yeah. we go you have the words of eternal life and we've believed that you're the holy one of god and for me that is i always go back to that when i'm thinking life's a bit tough miserable things don't seem to make sense and i think yeah but what am i going to do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else am i going to do where, where else do i go what's the alternative that's it you know i may not i may not be feeling very spiritual in fact quite the opposite i'm feeling like jacking it all in but i'm not going to because well who else are you going to go to who who else has the words of eternal life no one else does who else is life itself no one else no. to whom can i go no one else only christ and and th there's nothing else for me but christ and so for me a, a practical way of what it looks like to persevere is when everything feels like it's falling apart and you you do feel like you lose your grip on life but you recognise that God never lets go of you because yeah. you're going to follow him regardless. And uh, for me, backsliding and apostasy 
it isn't an option, not because I'm super spiritual, but because I recognize there's no one else that I want to follow. There's nothing else that I want in life. This, this life has nothing for me, only Christ. And, and whatever happens, I'll persevere. And as I say, it's not because I'm virtuous. It's not because I'm such a strong Christian. I hate it when people say that. Oh, you're a really strong Christian. No, I have a really strong saviour. Re- I'm a weak man, but I have a strong saviour. And this is why I think we have to remember this. Is, it's not about who we are, it's who he is. And a true believer always focuses on, I have a great saviour. I have a strong saviour. I have I have everything that I need in all of my weakness and neediness. I have a strong saviour. And when our eyes are on Christ, we will be able to persevere. When we take our eyes off Christ, like Peter, we will sink into the into the water. Amen. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think there are, you know, God uses means, doesn't he, in, in yeah. preserving us. And I think some people... T- you know call this doctrine the perseverance of the saints really what we're talking about is the preservation of the saints by god and uh, yeah i like that yeah you know article 14 in in the canons of dort in the the fifth head of doctrine oh, it's all really complex in it saying these these things but <laughs> it, it's entitled god's use of means in perseverance and it reads this and just as it has pleased god to begin this work of grace in us by the proclamation of the gospel so he preserves continues and completes his work by the hearing and reading of the gospel by meditation on it by its exhortations threats and promises and also by the use of the sacraments isn't that wonderful so yeah you know the gospel doesn't become obsolete after you become a christian it's actually a means of sustaining you as a Christian. You know, the, the gospel's for today. Like the gospel is your daily bread. And, and that for me, I think, you know, the gospel is something that has always, well, recently certainly been a strength for me. You know, reminding myself of Christ's work on my behalf, um, reminding myself of my absolute you know my absolute need of him and of his grace my helplessness um outside of him and just reminding myself of those things you know that strengthens in a sense my grip on him and we've said before you know yeah it's him that holds on to you absolutely he's not going to let go but it's unwise to let go of him isn't it yeah and so completely he doesn't want us to do that and so my my grip on on christ is strengthened by my recognition of the gospel and my constant reminding myself of the gospel that you know graham apart from the work of god you'd be damned to hell uh you know you're not just a good guy you know people say that to you like you say oh you're just a lovely guy so no i'm not i'm really not You, you don't know me uh, <laughs> I have a great saviour and everything yeah. that is in me that's good I have to owe to him you know so reminding ourselves of the gospel preaching the gospel to ourselves on a daily basis for me that's something that is really going to strengthen uh, anybody's faith <clears throat> absolutely and uh, just to sort of, as we kind of draw to a close um, just wanted to share an analogy that uh, the pastor of Oxford Presbyterian Church Andy Young I don't know if he's going to listen to this or not but I just want to share this because I I thought it just sums it up really well what we've been talking about and uh, he was using the analogy of two people on a on a plane last Sunday when he was yeah. preaching for one John 5 and, and he used the analogy of two people on a plane 
and one person has never flown before they're an absolute nervous wreck every time the plane hits a bit of turbulence they 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 tremble and shake and they're absolutely terrified and you know throughout throughout the journey they're pretty much throwing up into the sick bag and and then you've got another person who's just really laid back they've flown so many times they just you know are fast asleep snoring away uh until they until they arrive at their destination he says but the point is you know at the end of it the plane lands and regardless of whether you the, the person who's terrified or the person who was really relaxed and asleep it makes no difference they both get there and he says for the christian it's like that christ is the plane and we are in him we're in christ and mm. if, if you're if you're a christian you can be a christian he explained to us that you can be a christian and and not have assurance yeah absolutely and you can be a christian with assurance so like you, you know you can and to be honest yeah. with you, i think we can we can be either to be honest sometimes you're not saved by uh, your confidence in your salvation no exactly i think and all of us can have days where, where we where we struggle for assurance so i don't think it's it, it's just that there are two types of people all the time but but the truth is that there are there are some of us who we're not sure am i saved and we're worried and there are others who are really confident and at peace and have the assurance but the point is if you're in christ you're in christ and you know our prayer is that actually if you're someone who's who's worrying that you'd have that peace and assurance and a couple of verses that i think are really comforting are psalm 37 verse 28 which says he will not forsake his saints they are preserved forever amen uh, and and that is a comfort that is we're preserved forever also 1 john five thirteen, which andy young was preaching from but it, it says i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life hmm. that you know i yeah, i write these things so that you know so that you have yeah. the assurance and this is the thing about perseverance as well it's 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 knowing it's having the assurance it's having the peace it's saying i know i'm in christ and it's yeah. going to be okay and and i'm gonna get there and this life is not all there is and actually there will be a better day and that better day yeah might happen in this life but that's not guaranteed but what is is that i'll get to eternity and i'll i'll get to be with him with christ in eternity and everything will be fine and it'll be fine for all eternity amen I, praise god you know i'm i'm gonna close off now um reading from john 17 from from the lord jesus's high priestly prayer i'm, I'm going to read verses 9 to 11 and then i'm going to skip down to verse 20 and then to verse 24 um just to give a real encouragement to to those who are listening in that you know guys if the lord is praying for us if the lord jesus christ is currently praying for us now what do we have to fear what do we have to worry about amen uh, you know our, our trust is in him and his finished work amen so john 17 verse 9 i am praying for them i am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours all mine are yours and yours are mine and i'm glorified in them and i'm no longer in the world but they are in the world and i'm coming to you holy father keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one i do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word father i desire that they also who you you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world 
there's your assurance. <laughs> Amen. There's your assurance right there. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us, his people, that we will be with him where he is to see his glory. Shall his prayer not be answered, we ask. We know the answer is, of course it will. Of course it will. And we shall see him where he is and we shall see his glory and we shall be with him. We hope you've enjoyed this series through the doctrines of grace. If you have enjoyed it and it's been of use to you, please do share it. Uh, please do leave reviews on the podcast. It helps to get the word out. If you don't have time to leave a review, but you'd still like to help, give us a starring, a nice high star rating. That again just helps to get the word out. And we're looking forward in the coming future to doing some new episodes starting some new series we've got some exciting things planned for the future going forwards uh, which we, we look forward to sharing with you but until then we pray the lord bless you and keep you and we are blessed to have you with us on this journey take care god bless <laughs>